the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, Bob Bergman here. Welcome to today's show from Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm going to be talking about a couple of different uh, subjects on today's show. The first couple of segments will be on the first subject, and then the last two segments will be on the second subject. I I have, um, as an estate planning attorney, I've, I've been practicing since... Uh, about 1980, really estate planning since about 1981. And back in the day, I did a lot of living trust estate plans for individuals and married couples. And uh, back then, there was a particular type of plan we especially did for married couples. It's what's called an AB or ABC marital trust. Now, I know that's all just kind of like magic Greek language right there. Let me break down what that means. An ABC trust or an AB trust is basically a trust that says for a married couple, when one of the spouses passes away, we're going to take that spouse's share of property that was owned in the marriage, and we're going to put it aside in a trust, the B trust, sometimes called the bypass trust or exemption trust. And we're going to make that an irrevocable trust, meaning it can't be changed. And we're going to make the beneficiary of that trust the surviving spouse, who typically would get distributions of income from that trust and principal, that's underlying assets from that trust, if the surviving spouse had a need for that property to live on. The purpose, uh, and then the A trust, or the survivor's trust, would consist of the share of property owned by, interestingly enough, and maybe not surprisingly, the surviving spouse, hence the survivor's trust, sometimes called the A trust. The C trust, not even going to talk about today because almost never used. Uh, in my practice, I would say over all the years, maybe a couple of times that the C trust was used, so I'm not even going to deal with that today. Now, why did we do Things like that um, back in this, I did this back in the 80s, the 90s, even into the early 2000s as an estate planning attorney. Why would we not just leave everything to the surviving spouse? Why would we divide up the property when one spouse dies and then put essentially half of it into an irrevocable trust? Well, it had to do with something called the federal estate tax. Now, not state tax. A lot of people hear that and think, oh, state tax, like state of California tax. No, it's estate, as in your estate or the property that you own. The federal estate tax 
is a wealth transfer tax that's imposed on the estates of people who have died here in the United States and are U.S. tax residents. Now, that's typically going to be citizens. It can also be permanent residents of of the country who are from another country, and they have their green card, um, but they live and work here and they pay taxes here. The federal estate tax, back when it was, uh, it's been in effect for a long, long time, but a little bit of history, back in 1981, then-President Reagan pushed through Congress the Economic Recovery Tax Act of 1981. And what that did was put two things into the estate tax laws. First thing, the unlimited marital deduction. Now, what that means is that you could leave an unlimited amount of property to your spouse, provided your spouse was a U.S. citizen, and your spouse would not pay that federal estate tax, which, by the way, is often referred to as the death tax, because it applies when someone has died. So I'm going to call it the death tax from now on, because that's a little easier to say than federal estate tax over and over again. Now, back in the 1980s, the other thing that went into effect was something called the Unified Tax Credit, uh, which is a fancy way of talking about a certain amount of property that you could pass on to others People other than your surviving spouse, such as your children, grandchildren, maybe your non-citizen spouse, uh, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, parents, even a good friend, and it would not be subject to the death tax. It started back in 1981 with an exclusion of $200,000 of property. Now, 1981 is quite some time ago. $2,000 or $200,000 of property was actually quite a bit of property back then. Uh, it went up year to year to three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand. Then it stayed at six hundred thousand dollars for eleven years. Then all of a sudden, Congress acted again, and we saw the estate tax exclusion amount going up again to six twenty-five, six fifty, six seventy-five. Then a jump to a million, and a million. We're now at approximately. Um, the the late 1990s when it was a million dollars. Then it went from a million to a million and a half to two million, then three and a half million by 2009. Then in 2010, the federal estate tax, the death tax, was completely repealed under the law, which meant anyone dying that year didn't know that tax. We actually lost four billionaires here in the United States um, including the uh, owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, and their families did not pay any death tax because of those billionaires dying. Um, instead of hundreds of millions of dollars of tax, they paid zero. Then what happened, though, is they put the death tax back into effect, retroactive to the beginning of 2010, but gave people the option to opt out of that tax if they wanted to. Then in 2000. 11 and going forward, we had some new laws that went into effect. They jumped the exclusion to $5 million. Then it started being indexed for inflation and started going up from there. And uh, at the end of 2017, it had reached $5.49 million. And that's per person dying who was eligible to take that exclusion. Eligible people would be U.S. tax residents, uh, both citizens and uh, people who are here with uh, permanent residency. Then 2018 comes along, 
and that's when I'm talking to you right now, and they jumped the exclusion to $11.2 million per person dying. Now, what does this mean as a practical matter? It means that the vast majority of people in the United States here who are eligible to use this exclusion from the death tax will not owe any death tax at all when they die. In fact, the best estimates I've seen are something like 0.02% of the people in this country have an estate that's large enough that there would be a death tax imposed on anything above that $11.2 million. Now, why does this become important in reference to plans we did, say, back in the 80s and 90s? Well, the plans back in the 80s and 90s, that B trust, that bypass trust, it's called a bypass trust because the property that goes in there was intended to bypass the taxable estate of the surviving spouse when the surviving spouse died. For example, if you're back in, say, oh, um, 1989 and there's a $600,000 exclusion, if you lived in the Santa Clara Valley, you could easily have with a spouse an eight or $900,000 estate even back then because you have a half million dollar home, you have life insurance, you have retirement plans, all those things. So if you left everything directly to an A trust or survivor's trust, then when the surviving spouse died, they'd have too much property in their hands when they die and the government would tax the excess at a pretty high tax rate. So if you had a $600,000 exclusion and a $900,000 estate, $300,000 would be taxed at, uh, back then, I'm thinking it might have been a 40, 44% tax rate uh, that would go to the federal government just because your spouse died and then you died without doing any planning. But moving forward, we now find that with the higher estate tax exclusion amounts, we're not really worried about that death tax anymore for the vast majority of families. After the break, I'm going to talk more about this issue and maybe what can be done to solve that. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Before the break, I was talking about the death tax and the changes in the exclusion from the death tax that have taken place over the last, uh, really, since um, 1981 and going forward here in in, uh, 2018, which is when I'm talking to you right now. The issue is this. When we're talking about the AB trust, um, with the A being the survivor's trust and the B being the, um, the bypass trust, one of the major purposes of the bypass trust was to bypass the taxable estate of the surviving spouse, as I mentioned before. But there's another thing that happens with the bypass trust that was not as well known and not really talked about it as much. When someone dies, we have a tax that can apply to... Um, property that is inherited by someone who has just died that deals with the capital gains tax. You may have heard of capital gains tax, form of income tax. If you buy a capital asset, which is things like real estate and stocks and bonds, mutual funds, jewelry, works of art, precious metals, things like that, if you buy it for one price and sell it for a higher price later, 
the difference is called a capital gain. And you would actually pay capital gains tax at the federal and here in California at the state level as well. A bypass trust, by definition, because it bypasses the taxable estate of the surviving spouse when the surviving spouse dies, it does not receive any special income tax benefit when that surviving spouse dies. Let me illustrate this way. Let's say husband and wife, the husband dies, and we put a half a million dollars of property into the bypass trust. And that half a million dollars of property includes real estate, stocks, and bonds, and mutual funds valued at a half a million dollars. Now, when the husband died, if the property was owned as community property here in California, then what would happen is his share of the property will be revalued for income tax purposes to the current market value of that property. For example, if if John and Mary Smith bought a house for $100,000 at one point, and when John died, it's worth a half a million dollars, John's half of the house, um, the $250,000 half of that, gets what's called a step up in the basis, meaning that it's revalued as if it's worth $250,000 today for income tax purposes. As community property, something else magical happens, though. The other half of the property, his wife's half of the property, also gets to step up in the cost basis. What this means is that the surviving spouse receives the house at a value for income tax purposes of $500,000, which means if the surviving spouse said, you know what, I don't want to live here anymore, I'm going to sell the house, Um, he or she could sell that house for what it was valued on the date of death of the first spouse and pay no capital gains income tax. Now, that's huge, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area, where we've had uh, property values that have gone up and up and up, except for a downturn a number of years ago where it went down, but it's recovered most places. Property values are going up sometimes 5, 10, 15, even 20% per year, which means that there's a lot of buildup in equity in those properties over time. Same thing applies to those stocks and bonds and mutual funds in the market. Uh, Right now, as I'm talking to you, uh, the stock market uh, has been going up and down and sideways, but it's been going up consistently up overall trending for about the last 14 or 15 months now. Uh, That means that all of those increased uh, gains could be locked in when the owner of that stock or the owner of that real estate passes away. So the problem is this. If I have a bypass trust, the value of that property for purposes of income tax, capital gains income tax, is fixed at the date of death of the first spouse to die. Now, what this means is when the surviving spouse dies, anything they own in the survivor's trust gets a new basis, cost basis. It gets revalued up to the market value. But the property in the bypass trust does not which means if the family turns around and sells that property, they're going to have a taxable gain. Now, it made sense to do this back when the federal estate tax exclusion amount was only $600,000. But today, it's $11.2 million, which raises the question, should we, in fact, have an AB trust today if we know that the B trust will not get a new valuation when the surviving spouse dies at some point in the future? 
The answer for the vast majority of families is probably no, but there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of families that do have the AB trust that was set up back in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. So first thing is, if you have that type of trust, it's probably time to have that reviewed and determine whether or not it is still something that you should have. There's still non-tax reasons to have an AB trust, but the tax reasons have pretty much gone by the wayside in the last several years. So you might want to consider having it reviewed. You can always give me a call at 408-247-0444. I'll be happy to set up a time for you to bring that in, have me take a look at it, give some recommendations to you. But what if it's too late? What if your spouse already died and you're now looking at this trust and maybe you don't even realize that it requires you to divide it into an A and a B trust? I find that's very common. It it is also possible to go into the court system and petition the court with your consent and the consent of the remainder beneficiaries, the people who would receive the property of the bypass trust, typically children, you can go into court and ask that the court modify that trust to remove completely the requirement that you create that bypass trust at all so that everything now goes to the survivor's trust A, which means when the survivor passes away, all of the property will receive a new cost basis for income tax purposes. Uh, that is a proceeding under probate code 15403 or 15409. You could jot those down, look it up online if you'd like, and you'll see um, the guidelines for actually requesting that relief from the court. I do a number of those every year for surviving spouses who come in to see me to do trust administration of the trust that they had, and they discover that there's this mandatory requirement that they split the assets. Well, most of my clients, when they look at that, they say, this makes no sense. And they talk to their kids, and the kids say, Mom, Dad, that makes no sense. You should control everything. Plus, it will benefit us in the future when you pass away because we'll be able to sell all that property without worrying about capital gains tax on the back end uh, on property that otherwise would have gone into a bypass trust. So that's a little summary of, of AB trusts and how we can modify those and reduce them to basically just A trusts. Either do it ahead of time or it can be done through the court system afterwards. But either way, it's something to consider. Time to look at your estate plan, see if you have that kind of plan, because it's probably time to change it. Now, when I come back after the break, I am going to be talking about another common issue that comes up with trusts, uh, which is mainly that I find a lot of people, when they set up a trust, they either fail to transfer ownership of property into the trust, or along the way, they take property out of their trust, for example, to refinance a home or rental property, and they neglect to put it back in. I basically call this taking the toys out of the toy box to play with and forgetting them to put them back in the toy box with you're done. So when I come back after the break, I'm going to talk about how we deal with that in the estate planning community. So back after the break, talk to you then. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. 
on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. This is Bob Bergman with Plan Your Estate Radio. Uh, Before the break, I was telling you uh, what's coming up now for the the last two segments of the show today. I'm going to be talking about a very common issue that I run into in my estate planning practice, which is uh, the phenomenon of the unfunded or underfunded living trust or the living trust that was properly funded at one point, but along the way has had things kind of fall out uh, down onto the floor. Now, funding is basically the legal terminology for transferring the ownership of property, uh, real property, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, things like that, into the ownership of a trust. Uh, when you actually transfer property into the ownership of a trust, it's kind of like taking property out of one pocket of a pair of pants and putting it in the other pocket of a pair of pants with the first pocket having your individual name on it and the other pocket having the name of your trust. Now, I like thinking of a trust as being kind of like a wooden toy box for your toys. And if you think of it in that way, you can see, and if you have kids, you know this, um, kids often leave their toys out on the floor all over the place. I know that I have injured myself painfully a number of times stepping on Lego in the middle of the night. Uh, anyone out there experience that as well? Let's see a show of hands. Yeah, a few of you. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, even my operator here raised his hands, you know. <laughs> right, Mike? Yeah. If you have this box that you've built called the Living Trust, you want to make sure that your toys are properly put in the box because anything that's not in the box when you pass away will require some kind of further legal action to be taken in order to get it into the box so that you, in fact, can have it distributed the way you want it to be distributed. One of the most common things I see um, is that people come in to see me or maybe even a surviving spouse comes in to see me and the first spouse has died and we're going through the the estate plan and I ask, okay, I see like a schedule of assets here um, attached to your trust that lists all the various types of property that are intended to be owned by your trust. Uh, like your house, for example. Um, is your house titled in the name of the trust? And it's like, well... I'm not really sure. I think we did that with the lawyer when we set this up 20 years ago. Um, and I go, okay, well, let's check on that. And then I'll go online and I'll pull out the deed. And often I find out that it's not in the name of the trust anymore. And I'll look there and say, oh, it looks like five years ago, you and your spouse refinanced this property. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We we went back to fill in, fill in the blank bank and um, they put a new loan on Um but they required us to take the property out of our trust in order to put the new loan on. Okay, and I see here that you didn't, through the escrow, you didn't have the title company draw up a deed putting it back into your trust. No, I guess we didn't do that. Was that a problem? So, well, the problem is that that the property is in your individual names, not in your trust name. Something that we can do is you might be able to fairly easily take over that property now um, because uh, it would pass to you, depending on how you have it titled with your spouse. But the real problem is that uh, what happens when the surviving spouse dies. And that's what I see more frequently when families come in. Mom died, dad died, 
We start doing an analysis of their trust, and we find out that mom and dad never transferred the brokerage account into the trust, and that has $300,000 of stocks and bonds. And they also refinanced their house five years ago, didn't put it back into the trust. And we may find out there's literally more property outside of the trust, toys on the floor, if you will, than actually toys in the toy box that's the trust. So the question then becomes, is there anything that can be done now to fix that problem? Because the problem is, with toys out of the box, those are toys that could be subject to going through the whole probate process. And here in California, whether you have to go through that probate process or whether you can take another approach may literally depend on what county you live in here in California. Now, we have a number of different ways to get those loose toys into the trust. First of all, if the total value of those toys, the aggregate value, is less than $150,000, which could include uh, $150,000 just by itself, of real estate, and that's uh, basically market value of real estate, not equity, with uh, nothing else other than real estate, then for things that are not real estate, we can do what's called an affidavit of small estate value, which is a sworn statement filled out and prepared by whoever is the person's personal representative in their will, uh, typically the executor of a will, And that, along with a death certificate and waiting 40 days after the death of the person who owned that property, that can be submitted to a bank or brokerage, and they will then turn over that account to typically the trustee of the trust. In other words, turn it over so you can take that toy, put it back into the toy box. But what if you have a quarter-million-dollar brokerage account, which I've run into in the last couple of years, or you have the family home that was refinanced and never put back in, and that house is worth half a million, a million, or more, we can't use that small estate affidavit. Instead, we're going to have to go into the court system, the probate court, and prepare and file a type of court petition called a Hegstat petition. That's H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D. Those of you taking notes who want to look up everything I talk about, that's fine. A Hegstat petition, which, by the way, you can find a lot of information about that at one of my websites, hegstathelp.com. That's hegstathelp, all one word, dot com. I have a description of that and uh, even steps that can be taken. But I'm going to share that with you here today. A Hegstat petition basically says, we are going to go into court. We're going to show the court that there was a trust, that there's this toy box here, and we're going to provide some kind of written evidence to the court that the person who died intended this property to be owned by their trust. Now, what are some of the things that would show that? probably at the top of the list, is it's titled in the trust. But the problem is we're not titled in the trust here. That's why we're going into court. The second thing, there's a schedule of assets of the trust that lists the various things intended to be owned by the trust. And that schedule, especially if it's dated and it's signed by the person who has passed away, 
That's really strong evidence of intent right there. The third thing is there's some kind of an assignment of property into the trust that's dated and signed by the person. Maybe it's just a general language. I I give all my bank accounts, brokerage accounts, my, my jewelry, my personal possessions, my real estate, everything that I own now or may acquire in the future into my trust. So that's another evidence of intent right there. And then the fourth evidence of intent that uh, that I have used uh, successfully in uh, Santa Clara County, and uh, last year in 2017, I used it successfully in Placer County for a matter, uh, which I found out later was the first time it had ever been done in Placer County, is to use the special type of will that typically comes with an estate plan called a pour-over will. Now, people make wills to dispose of their property. You know, say, I want my property to go here. A pour-over will is a will that's specifically designed to direct property to go into somebody's trust after they have died. We call it a pour-over because it's kind of like having a pitcher of water, and the water is all the property that's outside of the trust, subject to probate, And we take that and we pour the water over into a big bowl, and the big bowl is the trust or the uh, toy box, if you will. So it's called a pour-over will. Now, a pour-over will will typically say in it, hey, after any specific gifts I may have made in this will, and sometimes people do that, I want everything else that I have that's subject to going through the probate court system I want it turned over to my living trust established with this name on this date. Um, And that is in Santa Clara County and now in Placer County as well. That is sufficient evidence of intent by itself to have that property turned over to someone's trust after they've died. Now, some counties here in California say just a pour over will is not enough. And they will make the family go through the entire involved, expensive public probate process to get that property turned over to the trust of the decedent, the person who's died. I think that those counties that do it that way, I'll be blunt about this, I think they are dead wrong in their interpretation of the law that's involved. The actual law is Probate Code Section 850, and and it provides, uh, along with the... the uh, Hegstat case, which is the the one that gives the name for Hegstat petition, and then another case, Ukestat. I don't know why it is we have Scandinavian names for these cases, but they're um, that's kind of what we have here in California. That um, what this provides is that uh, a pour over will is basically one that uh, any will doesn't take effect until someone has died, and so when someone has has died. This will is actually saying in it, hey, I've now died. Anything I own right now that's not in my trust, I want it in my trust. I consider that to be a written statement and evidence of intent of of the decedent that that property be in their trust. Prior to death, it doesn't count at all. A will has no meaning to that. Now, after the break, I'll come back and talk a little bit more about the Hegstat petition. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Before the break, I was talking about the Hegstat petition, and I thought I would expand a little more on that before I wrap up for the day. 
Um, the Hegstat petition is really a way for the court to formally recognize the ownership of property in somebody's trust where there's clear written evidence that that person intended the property to be in the trust. I actually had this happen in my own family. When um, when my father passed away, my parents actually owned a, a property that they called the cabin, which was a condominium down in Capitola that they would go to on the weekends because they liked to walk on the beach and things like that. I made sure that the, the cabin was transferred into their trust because I drew up the actual deed and had them sign it. And then my brother-in-law, uh, who is my dad's business partner uh, and also a notary, he notarized my parents' signatures. And then I made sure that it was recorded in Santa Cruz County. Well, subsequent to that, my parents did a refinance on the property. And because it was in Santa Cruz County, they were using a different title company than they had used to refinance properties up in Santa Clara County. And um, my dad was um, above in years at that point and not as sharp as he had used to be. He didn't notice that there was no deed in the escrow putting the property back into my parents' trust. Um, And so what happened was they refinanced. It was now in their individual names. When my father passed away, that particular property uh, at the time was going into the B or bypass trust that I talked about uh, earlier on in the show, and everything else went to my mother's A trust or survivor's trust. Well, we never bothered to check the title of that property because, after all, we knew it was in the trust because I made sure it was in the trust. When my mother passed away, we decided, my sisters and I decided, we didn't want to keep the cabin. Nobody wanted it. So we put it on the market. And my brother-in-law, who is a realtor like my dad was, uh, he marketed it, got it under contract, uh, got it into escrow, and then we pulled a preliminary title report on the property and found out it was in my parents' name. So that was a big problem. We could not close the sale while it was in my parents' name. Fortunately for my family, they had an estate planning attorney in the family, namely me, and I was able to put together the the, uh, the Hegstat petition, get it submitted to the court in Santa Clara County, get a court order issued, a certified copy, and delivered it to the escrow so we could complete the sale of the property. I've done that a half a dozen times in the last few years for uh, people that have run into that very situation. They're in the escrow, and then they find out for the first time that it's not in the trust, and they need to quickly move to get it into the trust. Now, in Santa Clara County, um, the county is very, very amenable to doing petitions like the uh, the modification petitions under Probate Code 15403 and 15409 I talked about earlier in the show, and the Hegstat petitions, doing them on what's called an ex parte basis. That's ex. P-A-R-T-E, that's Latin, and essentially means without a formal hearing. What that means is that you can actually go into court in Santa Clara County. You put together your petition. You put all the paperwork together, all the exhibits and everything. You have all of the heirs sign a waiver of notice and consent to the petition because they're all in agreement with it. And then I hand carry it down to the probate examiner, who's the judge's court attorney, hand it over to him. He reviews it. If all my I's are dotted and T's are crossed, he goes to the judge and says, Your Honor, I've reviewed this 
PC, uh, uh, I review this modification petition or hex that petition and everything's in order. And I recommend you sign the order. The judge signs the order. And then I get a call saying, come and pick everything up. I go back in. I get the petition and the order. I then, interestingly enough, then I file them with the clerk. So we actually don't file anything until after the judge has signed the order. It's Other counties work differently than that. And then I walk out with the court order. And if it's for a Hegstat, I can record that to transfer the title of real estate. I can give a copy to the bank, give a copy to the brokerage, and they turn everything over to the trustee of the trust, and we can complete the administration. Or in the case of a modification, now we don't have to actually implement the AB trust and divide everything up as the trust originally indicated. This is incredibly useful for families. And I'll tell you what, um, yeah, probably in a given year, I probably do anywhere from six to eight petitions of these kind. If you're facing a situation like that yourself where a parent has died and you're looking at the trust and you realize, oh, my gosh, there's nothing in there. If you're in Santa Clara County, I can definitely assist you. If you're in Contra Costa County, I've done it in Contra Costa County as well. For uh, other counties, I can certainly put you in touch with people that could help you out. Um, but feel free to give me a call at, at 408-247-0444 or visit my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and contact me that way. Uh, I'd be happy to meet with you and and see if there's any way we can assist you. Now, we're about to wrap up today, and I, I want to urge you, uh, if you've been listening to the show or gone back to listen to the earlier podcast and you like what you're hearing, but there's things you want to hear about, topics you want to hear about, email me at planyourestateradio at gmail.com. That's planyourestateradio, all one word. And um, I will reply to your questions. I'll reply to your comments. And I will also consider taking things that you'd like to hear about and working them into the show. If it's something I cannot address with my own particular expertise, I will find someone to bring on the show that can answer those questions, especially when I when I go live and start taking calls on the air. I hope you've enjoyed so far, and I look forward to the next time we meet on Plan Your State Radio. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.